Do you remember a while back when we were having the fires and you could smell all that smoke, that rancid smell that penetrates your nostrils and your sinuses? And we weren't here, at least we weren't even close to the fire, and yet it still burned our sinuses. My sinuses have been messed up ever since. Can you imagine what it would be like to be right there at the fire? Not only to smell all that smoke, but to feel the heat. I mean, it just kind of penetrates through your skin. And you feel that on, on your body. Could you imagine what it was like for Lot when he was escaping Sodom and Gomorrah and the fire came down and the city started burning and you could smell the smoke and you could feel the heat and you could hear the screams of the people back in the city who were trapped what it might feel like? How do you think Lot felt when he has his wife that's here with him and running and his daughters and all of a sudden his wife turns back and looks at the city and then all of a sudden she turns into a pillar of salt. Once she was full of life, breathing, happy, loving, good mother, good wife. And then she's all hard and stiff and lifeless. In the book Conflict and Courage, page 54, Ellen White, talking about Lot's wife, said that she felt greatly favored for being called out from the wicked city, but she also felt that she was severely dealt with by God and her husband because the wealth that had taken years to accumulate was left in the city to be destroyed. God's judgment involved her possessions, her children, and instead of thankfully accepting the deliverance, she presumptuously looked back to desire the life of those who had rejected the divine warning. She looked back because she desired the old way of life. And it was being destroyed. How does anyone get so hardened against God? How can you get so hardened that it, it destroys your life destroys your family. Can you imagine how Lot felt and the daughters? How could you get so hardened that you would allow God to destroy your gift of everlasting life? How could you prevent such hardening from happening? Well, let me tell you, first of all, that it just doesn't happen instantly by turning back. It's a slow, gradual hardening that took place for Mrs. Lot 
before the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Turn to Genesis, if you would, chapter 13. Genesis 13, we'll start with verse 1. Genesis chapter 13, beginning with verse 1. And Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had and lot with him to the south. And Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold. And he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and, and I, to the place of the altar which he had made there at first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Lot also, who went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. Now the land was not able to support them, that they might dwell together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. The Canaanites and the Perizzites then dwelt in the land. The hardening a lot of times starts with some kind of strife or conflict may not be a real major thing, but something happens either within the home or within the workplace. And sorry to say, sometimes it even happens within the church. Usually it's from misunderstandings. But whatever it is, whatever the cause might be, there is carried with them this hurt and pain that stays in the back of their minds. And sometimes that hurt and pain gets add with others and it builds up and then before long you begin to try to take matters into your own hands and then you start walking away from God, sometimes from your family, from your church, We're going to be reaching out before too long to our inactive brothers and sisters who used to worship with us. Many of you who have been members of this church for quite some time, you know who they are. You used to sit next to them. You used to work with them. You used to pray with them. You used to go to socials with them, go to their houses. You watch their children as they're growing up, and now they're not here. And many a times, it's because of some type of misunderstanding that has taken place within the church. And that builds, and it builds. And pretty soon they decide, for some reason or other, I no longer want to be a part of this church. I'll stay at home. They become pillars of salt. Still living, but they are so hardened that they no longer want to worship with God in His church. 
How do you reach them? Usually the hardening starts with that conflict. Expectations were not met. Feelings were hurt. Misunderstandings caused a sense of mistrust. And these individuals found it easier to stay at home than to come to church and be reminded each week of the pain. They become strong-willed doing what they think is best for themselves and for their family. And they start living life the way they want to do it instead of following what God says He wants them to live. You don't have to drop out of the church in order to become hardened to God's ways either. Go to Exodus chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32, and look at verse 9. Exodus 32 and verse 9. This is God's people that were led out of Egypt. They are there, worshiping. Exodus 32 and verse 9. And the Lord said to Moses, I've seen this people. And indeed, it's a stiff-necked people. Talking about when Moses was up in Mount Sinai and getting the law of God, getting the instructions of what he wants his people to do. And then back, back in the camp, here are the people that decided that they wanted to build a golden calf. And God says they've become a stiff-necked people. Hardening starts to take place. And yet they still claim that they are followers of God. They still meet together to worship. So it can happen. Even you don't have to to, uh, drop out of the church. It can happen right here, sitting in the church, listening to God's Word, and all of a sudden there's a hardening that begins to take place. Notice that they didn't really want to follow God's ways of worship, but they wanted to do it their own way, even bringing into the, to the worship practices used by the heathen world, thinking that that's okay and making excuses for it. Well, brothers and sisters, we see that happening in our church over and over again. You don't have to go far to churches that are just bringing in the practices of the world and saying, this is okay. This is the way to worship God. It's the beginning of becoming hardened individuals. Even meeting together can happen so quickly. So after conflict comes... Sometimes there's another change that happens within us that starts the hardening. Take a look in the New Testament in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Remember, these things don't happen just overnight. It's a gradual process. Ephesians 4, beginning with verse 17 Paul talking to the church or writing a letter to the church in Ephesus. Ephesians 4, beginning with verse 17. This I say, 
Therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. What's this talking about when he talks about the Gentiles? When the heart is hardening, he's not talking about, he's, again, it's, it's accepting the ways of the world. A heart that is hardened creates an, um, an irregular pulse, if you want to call it that. The hardening of the heart, the pulse has got to change. And in the case of a Christian, they feel confused. Their minds dwell on dark and evil thoughts and feelings. They begin to lose their sense of shame for disobeying God's commands. They start living a a lifestyle that is more of what the world calls pleasure instead of living the lifestyle of God. And they fall into eventually into the practice of every kind of immorality and impurity. They accept the ways of the world as their ways. They give up on God for various reasons. No wonder Solomon says in Proverbs, he who hardens his heart falls into trouble. But it gets worse. A hard heart ruins not only that individual's life, but it really begins to affect the lives of their families. Probably one of the best biblical examples we could call upon is the one where Jesus identified the hard heart as the wrecking ball of marriages. The religious leaders came to Jesus and they asked him to comment about divorce. Look what Jesus said, Matthew chapter 19. Matthew 19, verses 8 and 9. Let's start with verse 7. Matthew 19, beginning with verse 7. They said to him, the religious leaders said to him, Why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? And he, Jesus, said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, Whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced, commits adultery. Divorce came into the church because of the hardness of their hearts. They're wanting to do things their own ways, and it destroys a marriage. 
But even that hardness can be like in the church because we're a family and it destroys the church family as well too when the hardness enters in. You see, when they begin to reject their marriage spouse and want to do their own thing in their own way, the Bible is very clearly pointing out, really, that we're also rejecting the very one who could help our marriage which is Jesus Christ. And that's why the hardening is taking place when we allow the problems of our marriage to get so strong that we begin to break away from our spouse as we're doing that, as our heart is getting hardened, the Lord cannot come in and help bring that marriage back together. We get so strong-willed, we say, we don't want to be back together. destroys marriages, destroys the children of the marriages as well, too. We're really, any of us sitting here today, if you're really honest with yourself, you'll know that there are areas that you have been hurt, you have been um, misinterpreted. There are areas where you do not like what you see in others. There are areas that you do not like what the leaders of the church say and do. There are all kinds of areas that have started the process of hardening of your heart. Don't ever say that I will be like one of those individuals who no longer attends church and worships with us because any one of us are one step away from being that person, including pastors. I was talking to, to Craig this morning and he was mentioning the fact that he met a pastor of the Adventist Church, a former pastor of the Adventist Church, who now for a living paints, no longer a pastor. And they began talking about the signs of the soon second coming of Jesus. And he, the former pastor, says, oh, we always live in the ups and downs. Things happen and then they don't happen and they happen and they don't happen and we're not any closer to the signs of the second coming of Jesus as any other generation that has taken place. The hardening of the heart to see. Because if we really take a look at what's going on in this world today, brothers and sisters, we are right at the threshold of the second coming of Jesus. But remember, one of the signs that it's really time for Jesus to come is in Peter when he talks about those individuals who are scoffers 
who says, well, it will not happen. We've always talked about this from generation to generation, and it's never happened back then, and it's not happening now. That's one of the signs. Hardening of the hearts. The devil knows that if he can gradually begin to bring in a lot of hurt and a lot of pain within the within ourselves, our hearts can get hardened and we then block off their very one who can help us. Turn, if you would, to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7 and verse 51. Here's the next stage that happens when we begin to feel the hurt and the pain and the rejection. Verse 51, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. As we start the hardening process, what we're doing is is we're resisting the very spirit that is going to lead us from this world to the heavenly kingdom. It is our only way of salvation is by the power of God, not by my power. And so I become stiffened. I become hardened when I begin to resist that spirit. When I begin when I begin to stand in defiance to the will of God, that's when the hardening starts. In Testimonies for the Church, Volume 2, page 263, Ellen White says this, Some people make their religious life a failure because they are always wavering and do not have determination to follow God. They are frequently convicted and come almost up to the point of surrendering all for God, but failing to meet the point, they fall back again. While in this state, the conscience is hardening and becoming less and less susceptible to the impressions of the Spirit of God. His Spirit has warned, has convicted, and has been disregarded until it is nearly grieved away. God will not be troubled with. He shows, he, he shows clearly, and if there is a neglect to follow the light, it becomes darkness. Grieving away the Holy Spirit, pushing it away, because I don't want to follow in that direction. I'm going to do what I think is best, what I think is right. That's the hardening of the heart. So the question is, if we're going to go out and reach out to these people who have probably had a hardening of their heart, 
who are no longer coming to church, who are no longer worshiping. There may be some here who are hardening their heart because of conflict with others within the church or conflict in their marriage. Or they think that they know what's right and they don't want to follow what God clearly says. This is the direction I want you to go. What if that's taking place? How then can the change come around? What can I do to be able to help those inactive members to get them to come back to church, to get them to come back and to worship with us? Well, the first part we're going to be doing when we meet together and we begin to pray because we can't do it on our own power. It has to come from the power of God. But how do we soften the hearts? How can we reach out to these people? How can we become, for God, the fabric softener of the soul? Take a look at Mark chapter 8. Here's the starting point. Mark chapter 8, beginning with verse 19. Mark 8. He's talking to his disciples and Jesus says, When I broke the five loaves, or the five thousand, how many baskets full of fragments did you take up? And they said to him, Twelve. Also, when I broke the seven for the four thousand, how many large baskets of fragments did you take up? And they said, Seven. So he said to them, How is it that you do not understand? What's he saying? He's trying to get them to reflect back on when God has worked in their lives. When they had evidence that is there to focus on what God has done for you in the past. It helps us to focus on how God has led in the past to be as to how he will lead us in the future. To be able to start the process of reaching out to the inactive members after we've prayed is to visit with them and then to begin to ask them, how has God, I'm just curious, how has God led you in the past? And then shut up. That's the hard part, shutting up. Because we want to sit there and jump in and tell our how God has led us but that's not what we're trying to do. We're trying to, sh- to show to them how God has led them in the past. And let them begin to respond how God has led in the past. Brothers and sisters, they will never ever see the hardness of their heart. You do not sit there and say, boy, you sure have a hard heart. You better get it straight so you can get back into church. It'll never work. It only hardens it more. The only way to soften the heart is to reflect on God's movement in their life. They're not going to see God moving in the present, and they don't have any hope for the future until they begin to see how God has led them in the past. Down through generations, God has always brought up to them 
to individuals and, and to groups of people to be able to say, didn't I lead you here? Didn't he tell the Israelites, do you remember when I led you out of Egypt and I brought you through the Red Sea and I delivered you? It's focusing on the past to be able to see that God has accepted them. Now, that's only the starting point. Now you need the hammer that's going to break the hardness. This takes a while. You can't do this in just one sitting. But now there is one Bible text that if they, after they see that God has been leading them, if they can see this Bible text and really meditate on this Bible text more than any other Bible text in the, in the entire Bible, if you can reflect on this one Bible text, it can really break a hardened heart and change them around. And it is the most written Bible text, the most quoted Bible text that has ever been quoted throughout all of generations. Do you know what it is? John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Here's the formula. God loves you. You've got to see it in the past. You see how God has led you in the past? Do you know why He's led you that way? Because God loves you. And it says so. God so loves the world. You're part of the world, aren't you? Then that means... God loves you. Second part in his formula for breaking hardened hearts. God gave to us his son. The only solution to be able to have eternal life is Jesus Christ our Lord. We cannot come to the Father except through Jesus Christ. I was reading a book last night. And the book he was, the author was describing about uh, the various religions and how today the, the, the Buddhists and the Hindus and the Islams and all of them are all saying, including the Christians and the Jews, we're all going to the same God. We're all going to the same heaven. It doesn't make any difference what you believe. We're all going to the same place. We ought to put our arms around each other and say, praise God, praise Buddha, praise Allah, praise... Because it's all the same God. And then he says, can you really say that because... 
All the other religions, including the Jews, do not accept Jesus Christ. And Jesus says the only way through to the Father is through him. And that's very true. So we can't say that. So my only way to him is to be able to accept his gift, which is his son. Then the third part is that i got to believe in Jesus. i got to rekindle that he is out to save me. There's no other way for salvation except through Jesus Christ. And so that's the third part. And then the fourth is, I have, because of Jesus, eternal life. That's his formula for breaking the hardness of the heart. It's the alphabet of grace. The table of contents of Christian hope. It's the safe deposit box of eternal life. It's found in those few words. God loves the world who is full of heartbreakers, hope snatchers, dream dousers, dictators, abusers, everyone. He still loves the world. And because of that, He gave His Son so that we can have life. Scripture equates Jesus with God. And then then it says, God then gave Himself. Why? So that whoever believes shall not perish. The word believes is kind of an interesting one. When Bible translators were trying to translate this text, and they came to the natives, natives living in the New Hebrides Islands. They couldn't find a word in their language to bring across this word believe. They didn't have a word. And they were wondering what they were going to do. One of the Bible translators was there trying to study more about the language to see how can we translate so that they can understand this word belief or faith. And he and he was getting so frustrated that he decided, well, I'm going to go out hunting. So he took one of the tribesmen, and they went out hunting for deer, and they, they shot a deer, and the two of them carried back the deer. Gary carried a deer. They're heavy. And it was only the two of them. When they got back to the translator's home, they, they just dropped the carcass of the deer, went up on the porch, and there was, was a couple of lounge chairs. They just crashed in the lounge chairs because they were exhausted. The native exclaimed in his language, My, it is good to stretch yourself out and rest. And the translator says, That's it. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever stretches himself out on Him should not perish but have everlasting life. To believe is to stretch out by faith and rest in Jesus Christ. The secret of a softened heart is to heed to the invitation to stretch out on Jesus and rest. Sometimes the, the hardness of the heart 
might respond, well, why should I? What has Jesus ever done for me? And the answer to that question lies within a small Greek word, hyper. Not children bouncing off the walls after eating candy at Halloween time. But hyper in the Greek means in place of or on behalf of. When we see it in the English, we see the word translated for, F-O-R. But here's what the Bible is really saying that Jesus has done for us. 1 Corinthians 15.3, Christ died for or on behalf of us. Jesus gave Himself for or in place of our sins. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for or in place of us. Jesus said the Good Shepherd lays down His life for or in place of His sheep. Greater love hath no one than this, that He lay down His life for or on behalf of His friend. So the point is crucial. In order to receive a softened heart, Christ, who is the gift, is willing to exchange hearts with you. He will take your hardened heart for His own, and He will give to you His soft heart towards His heavenly Father. This means that our inactive church members right now, because they're not here, they're standing between a rock and a hard place. The rock is Jesus. The hard place is their hardened heart that keeps them from coming to the body of Christ. Their hardened heart is a pillar of salt or of stone. And they have to be willing to give their hardened heart to Jesus, rest upon Him by faith, and He will change their lives. That means that we have to give them opportunity to come before Christ, an invitation to come. I start first by asking them, how's God led you in the past? And as I get more acquainted with them and as we begin to reflect on those things and we begin to see that God is there, then we begin to give them the invitation. Did you know that God so loved you that He gave His Son Jesus to die that we might have eternal life if we only believe. Do you believe that this morning? Now see, if you don't believe it, how are you going to get them to believe it? Do you know this morning that Jesus so loved you that He gave His only begotten Son, that if you're willing to believe and to rest in Him, He will give you the gift of eternal life. Do you believe that? 
Let's bow our heads this morning. Father, thank You for loving us. Thank You for leading us as You have in the past because it helps us now with the present. Whatever situation I find myself in today, it means that You're going to lead me today and I don't have to worry about the future because You're going to lead me in the future. We're so glad that the hardened hearts of sinful mankind did not stop you from giving your unique son, Jesus. We want to rest now by faith in him. We want to exchange our hardened hearts for the heart of Jesus. We want to thank you for the gift of eternal life and ask you to give us strength to invite our inactive brothers and sisters back into the family of God so that they might accept the same gift that we have accepted now, the gift of Jesus Christ, for we pray it in his name. Amen. Let's lift, uplift our voices and sing hymn number 593, 593. Shall we stand as we sing together? like these you need a Savior in times like these you need an anchor be very sure be very sure your anchor holds and grips the solid This rock is Jesus, yes, he's the one. This rock is Jesus, the only one. Be very sure, be very sure. Your anchor holds and grips the solid. like these, oh, be not idle, be very sure, be very sure, your anchor holds and grips the solid rock, this rock is Jesus, yes, he's the this rock is Jesus, the only one. Be very sure, be very sure. 
solid rock in times like these I have a Savior in times like these I have an anchor I'm very sure I'm very my anchor holds and grips the solid rock. This rock is Jesus. Yes, he's the one. This rock is Jesus, the only one. I'm very I'm very sure my anchor holds and grips the solid. Now may the solid rock, which is Jesus, lead you through this week to bless you, to uplift you, to be your strength. Amen.